The title of the message this morning is The Forsaken. And then we're going to be looking at Mark 15, 33-34. It's on your notes. If you don't have notes, you can open up your Bible. And you can look at Mark 15, 33-34. Let me read it for you. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. And we ask, Father, that you would mercifully and very kindly, Lord, present your Son to us this morning on the cross, being forsaken by many and being forsaken by you. Father, Lord, we sometimes become so We become so uh, aware that you died for our sins. Yet, Father, only by your Spirit are we able to really contemplate. Are we able to really, Father, see the depths of your love and the steadfast love that you showed for us on the cross? So, Father, Lord, I pray that by your mercy, you would show that to us this morning. I pray that we may leave this morning with a greater understanding, with a deeper understanding of what was going on on the cross. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Now, how many of us remember... You guys are going to laugh. How many of you guys remember, by show of hands, how many of you guys remember the year 1985? By show of hands. All right, all right. Hey, you know, I, I thought it was going to be much worse. But worse in the case that I, I thought not many of you were going to remember 1985. I thought I was going to see just a few hands. But, it, you know, it just goes to show that world. Uh. <laughs> well, for those of you who don't remember the year 1985, maybe you don't remember the year 1985 because you weren't born yet. Maybe you don't remember the year 1985 because you were too young. Or, for many of us, maybe we don't remember because we're too old. But, let me give you a list a list that will help us maybe remember some of what happened in the year 1985. You see, in the year 1985, Ronald Reagan, at 73 years old, takes oath for second term as the 40th president of the United States. In the year 1985, our beloved Miami Dolphins suffer a devastating loss 
in Super Bowl 19 at the hands of Joe Montana and the San Francisco 49ers. Now, in the year 1985, Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It is voted the song and the record of the year. And in the year 1985, Orion's motion picture, Amadeus, wins the Academy Awards for Best Picture, Best Male Leading Actor, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Sound, Best Costume Design, and Best Makeup. You see, a list like this, a list like this would help us remember this wonderful year. Yet some of us don't need this list. Some of us don't need a fact list to remember the year 1985. In fact, most of us really don't even need to even bother remembering. You see, guys, there are many periods of times in our lives where there are events that happen in our lives. Events that change the course of our lives. Events that define us for years to come. Events that are many times pleasantly sweet and yet many times unpleasantly bitter. Very rarely, if ever, can we define one of these events as both pleasantly sweet and unpleasantly bitter. But this morning, through Mark 15, 33, and 34, we are being called to remember and we are being set back, not to the year 1985. We are being set back, way back, approximately to the year 30 AD. And even though I'm not aware, as old as we are, I am not aware that any of us were around during those days, okay? This event in history has more implications for our lives than any other event. You see, no other event can change the course of a man's life like this event on Mark 15, 33, and 34. No other event can define a man the way God desires man to be defined. But this one. No other event can be more bitterly unpleasant. Yet for us, brings so much sweetness to our lives. See, the event narrated in this text presents to us the bitterness of the uncomparable sufferings of Christ. Yet at the same time, the text presents to us the sweetness of the steadfast love of God. And it's all in one event. Church, God, this morning, God this morning, listen to this, God this morning is reminding us of his abandonment and forsakenness of his son on the cross. And in order that we may be captivated by the steadfast love, and in doing so, God is calling us to live for him who was forsaken for us. God is saying to us this morning, Palm Vista, live for him who was forsaken for us. Now, I know we hear this talk a lot. I know we hear the gospel a lot. 
Thank God that we hear the gospel a lot. Thank God that we're in a church that the gospel is being preached. But in order for us to really see the implications of this truth, we must be clear as to what is really going on on that cross. Now, throughout our sermon series, the one for the many, we have contemplated the substitutionary death of Christ on behalf of those who have placed their trust in him. But this right here, Mark 15, 33, 34, is the first and the only time we will, through Scripture, get a glance at our dying Savior. On the cross, we are going to hear the anguish and the agony with which he cries out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we need to clearly understand three things. Actually, four things. We need to understand what does it mean to be forsaken. We need to understand who forsook Jesus. We need to understand what does it mean for us that Jesus was forsaken and we need to understand why did God forsake his son now what does it mean to be forsaken okay now well most of you enjoyed the 1985 theme right you guys enjoyed that okay (laughs) some of you might still be asking yourselves why did Jose start this message by asking us to remember 1985 what does 1985 got to do with it? You know, like, sort of like uh, Tina Turner's song. Now, well, you see, the year 1985 was a very memorable year for me. In fact, it was a very memorable year for some of the people that today surround me. I'll give you a few examples. I'm going to give you two examples. For example, that year... Fidel and Teresa Gomez enjoyed the birth of their precious baby girl, Christine Gomez, who would 18 years later become my wife. Okay? Now, they will never need a special facts list to remember the year 1985. They will always remember 1985. In fact, the very same day, and this is my second example, the very same day that the Gomez family was celebrating the event of their daughter's birth, another family was celebrating the event of the birth of, the, of their union in marriage. That's right. Desi, you know what I'm talking about. Albert and Desi Pino will never forget the year 1985. Because they got married on that year. You see, there are events that happen in our lives that just will always, we'll always remember when that event happened. We'll always, we will never forget. As for me, this year was, for many years, not one that I would describe as filled with pleasant sweetness. 
But it was a year that was filled with the bitterness of loneliness and abandonment. That loneliness and abandonment defined my life for many years to come. You see, I grew up in Nicaragua. You guys, you guys, most of you guys know that. With my mother. My stepfather and my older sister. I was a mama's boy as a child. For uh, my dad uh, abandoned us when, when I was about a year and a half old. So I grew up with my mother. I was a mama's boy. Uh, my mother was a single parent for most of my childhood. For many years, my mama was my world. She was everything to me. Wherever my mama went, I went. Okay? Now, when I turned 10 years old, in the year 1985, my mother had a huge choice to make. Keep me with her and run the risk of having the communist government at, the, at that time take me away from her and to impose military service? Or send me to the States to live with one of her sisters who lived with her family in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Those were her choices. Well, Mama chose the latter. And in 1985, a year I will never forget, at the age of 10, I arrived in Virginia to live in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys are from Virginia. I am sorry. <laughs> but it was literally in the middle of nowhere. I soon found out that only three people spoke Spanish in the whole town. I think the, the whole state. <laughs> and I was one of them. My aunt was the other. I was shortly after introduced to daily physical abuse and repeated acts of unkindness and humiliation at the hands of my aunt. But you see, the worst thing that I ever had to endure was the abandonment I felt as I cried myself to sleep, desiring once again to be with my mother. At church, this is just my experience that I share with you as an illustration of my life in a period of time where I was overwhelmed with loneliness and abandonment and forsakenness. Yet, I am sure that there are many in this auditorium that have experienced a depth of loneliness, abandonment, and rejection that is far worse than anything that I have gone through. And in fact, some of you, although right now, surrounded by many might be experiencing a sense of isolation and loneliness this morning. Well, this morning, God is here not to minimize or to belittle your experience of pain, but to show you that He understands. He understands because in comparison to our unbearable experiences, there is someone else whose pain of isolation and abandonment goes much deeper, far greater, more painful than any of ours. None of us have experienced what Christ experienced on the cross. None of us. No matter how hard, no matter how painful, 
no matter how forsaken you might feel, you have not experienced what Christ experienced on the cross. You see, it wasn't the mockery of the soldiers that makes Jesus cry, cry out in anguish and agony. It wasn't the, their mockery. In fact, we learn from, from chapter 15 in Mark, we learn that, that he was silent. It wasn't the shame of carrying his own cross in a public procession as others just mocked him. That, that didn't make him cry out to the Father. It wasn't the humiliation of hanging naked on the cross. It wasn't even the excruciating pain of having long, tapered, iron nails. I mean, they, those things were the size of the railroad tracks, the nails that they used for railroad tracks. It wasn't that, as horrible as it was, that brought Christ to an anguish and agony-filled cry. Now, what brings Christ to this cry that we see in verse 34 is that Christ was forsaken by his Father. Christ was forsaken by God. And that answers our second question. Who forsook Jesus? And if we go back through the whole narration of of the crucifixion, we will see that Jesus was forsaken by all. We can easily see how Christ's forsakenness was at the hands of men. You see, at the hands of men... Christ was forsaken. He was forsaken by his government. Really wasn't his government. It was the Roman government. But you see, the Jews, they had no authority to to nail anybody to any cross. They had no authority to actually crucify anybody. So that's why they brought him to Pilate. And even though Pilate said that there was no reason to punish Jesus, he forsook him. In favor of the crowd. Then we see the people. The people who just a week earlier. Were singing. Osana. Osana. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those same people were crying out. Crucify him. And mocking him. They rejected him because he was not the king that they were looking for. The one that they in their sinful minds had imagined. Then probably the, 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 the worst one in human's perspective, okay, he was forsaken by his followers, his disciples. He has spent years with them, teaching them, just pouring out his life on them. Yet, at the time of his arrest, they fled. Forsaken. Guys, this is what we see at the hands of man. But in Mark 15, 33, 34, God shows us what what we see there is Jesus at the hands of the Father. 
And the most striking way Jesus is forsaking is by God. It was this and this alone that drives Jesus cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have uh, put in your notes a few scriptures that we could go through really quick that will show us that yes, God was the one at work on the cross. God was the one crucifying his son. God was the one forsaking his son. Isaiah 53.10 tells us, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Isaiah 53.11 tells us, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. This is God speaking of, of himself. Out of the anguish of his soul, Jesus' soul, he shall see and be satisfied. God the Father was satisfied to forsake his son. Zechariah 13.7 tells us, Awake, O sword! Against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. This is God speaking of his son. Now, many of us may ask, I have asked many times, how can this be? How can it be? How can it be? He was the eternal son of God. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the word of God who became flesh. He had existed from all eternity in the closest, most intimate relationship imaginable with the Father. Even when he left heaven's glory and came to earth and became a man, he still maintained throughout his life sweet communion and deep intimacy with his heavenly Father until that is at this point, at the cross, at the cross, at the cross, he, he took upon himself, guys, he took upon himself the sins of all his people. Jesus Christ experienced for the first time in all eternity the horror of separation from God. And we are witnesses of this in Mark 1533 and the first thing that we see we are witnesses of the sky turning black at 12 noon 12 noon now i know it was kind of gloomy this morning because it was raining and it was a little dark but we're talking about noon okay we're talking about noon where the sun is completely out and all of a sudden it becomes dark I mean dark, like night dark. You see, this darkness was a supernatural force, a demonstration that the day of the Lord had descended. In fact, this darkness reminds us of the darkness that surrounded Egypt. You guys remember when we went through Exodus, the darkness that surrounded Egypt when the firstborns were slain. It is the judgment of God. On the cross, the father turned his back on his son while he hung there in our place, inflicting upon him the full fury of his wrath for our sins. 
Now, many, since it's something that we question, how can this be? Many have tried to understand this truth, and in their failed attempts, they have drifted to deny the substitutionary work of Christ on behalf of us. You see, to them, it seems unthinkable that Jesus would actually feel abandoned on the cross, and even more unthinkable that God, the Father, in any sense, would abandon His Son. Many of them believed that Jesus was just reciting Psalm 22.1. You see, Psalm 22.1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? See, my friends, this was, just, was not just a mere recitation of Psalm 22. What was happening in Mark 15 was the fulfillment of Psalm 22. So you see, Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm. It is a poetry by, by King David. The psalmist David. And through his experiences, God had, God had given him a prophetic poem about the suffering servant. And we see that this psalm describes the whole crucifixion. In this psalm, we see many of, of, of just the events that happened during the crucif- crucifixion. But my friends, this was just not just a mere recitation of Psalm 22. This was the reality of the prophetic anticipation the psalmist was describing. Jesus was not just reciting poetry. He was forsaken. As he hung there, he was bearing the sins of the world. He was dying as a substitute for us. To him was imputed the guilt of all our sin. And he was, the, and, and he was suffering the punishment for those sins on our behalf. You see, the very essence of that punishment was the outpouring of God's wrath against sinners. In this lies the truth of the cross, church. The reason why God forsook His Son was because He was paying for the punishment for our sins. He was not merely providing an example for us to follow. No, Miguel said that this morning. He wasn't. He was not just merely making a public display of the awfulness of sin. He was not just a martyr being sacrificed to the wickedness of men. He was not offering a ransom price to Satan or doing any of the many ridiculous explanations that many suggest. Here is what was happening at the cross. God was punishing His Son as He had committed, as he had committed every wicked deed done by every sinner who would ever believe. And he did it so that he could forgive and treat those that are redeemed, you and me. And not only is he being, not only is he being punished as if he had committed every wicked sin that we have committed, but also, 
God was redeeming us. And God was imputing to us the righteousness, the perfect life that His Son had lived as if it was our righteousness. That's what's happening at the cross. That's what's happening on Mark 15, verses 33 and 34. That right there. Any other explanation ignores the darkness. Any other explanation ignores the cry of Jesus on the cross. But even, it goes even deeper than that. Any other explanation ignores Scripture as a total. And I'm going to give you just three Scriptures. Three of the many that we can find that just testify to this truth. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13 tells us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Romans 3.23-26 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So let us not be like those that ignore this truth. We, we cannot ignore that Jesus was forsaken. We cannot ignore that He was forsaken by God. We cannot ignore that He was forsaken for our redemption. So what does it mean for us that Jesus was forsaken? What does that mean for us? See, now that we have seen the bitterness of this event, we come to a place where we can experience the sweetness of the very same. God has called us this morning to live for Him who was forsaken for us. This is the reality of our faith. He was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. He was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. And guys, what I want to, guys, what I want to do is at this time, I want us to try to apply this truth into our lives. I want us to try to apply this truth into our life. You see, He was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. So, what does that mean for us? It means this. Okay? It means, first of all, that if you have not believed in the substitutionary work of Christ, if you have not placed your trust in Christ, it means that you have not been forgiven. That's what that means. 
But my friends, you can receive forgiveness. You can receive forgiveness of sin. God is calling you this morning to live for him who was forsaken. And in order for you to do that, you need to repent of your sin. You need to trust Christ as the one who paid the punishment for that sin. And God will bring forgiveness. You see, friend, if you die apart from Christ, you will endure for all eternity what Jesus endured those three hours. For all eternity, you will endure the forsakenness of God. You see, none of us, if you're still breathing this morning, I was going to say a joke, but I better not. If you're still breathing this morning, okay, you have not ever experienced the utterly forsakenness of God. But if you don't take this truth and apply it to your life, you will receive the same forsakenness that Christ received. Second point, he was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. He was deserted in order that we would never be deserted. Therefore, how do we apply this to our lives? Therefore, we can be sure that no matter where we find ourselves, we can be sure that He will never leave us nor forsake us. My friends, this truth saved me from a life of bitterness. In my experience, in 1985, for years, I lived with bitterness. I lived with resentment towards my mother, towards my aunt, towards my sister, towards everybody. But this truth right here, God has promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he can give that promise to us because he forsook his son. That's why. So for me to apply this, I need to realize that I need to trust God in His promises and realize that God has made a way. God has made a way that we will never be deserted. For me, that way came in 1997 as I realized God opened my eyes to the forsakenness of his son on the cross. God opened my eyes to the truth of the gospel and I realized that though I had felt forsaken, I had never really been forsaken. Church, brothers and sisters, if there are traces of loneliness in your life, God is calling you to live for his son. If there are traces of loneliness in your life, 
God is calling you to live for His Son. That, the way that looks, look, I had an experience last week. I went to Sarasota. This church is probably about half our size. Okay? This church, a few months back, senior pastor, they only had one pastor, stepped down. Okay? And I was there and I was, I, I was encouraged to see that this church was functioning. I got there. They were setting up. They were serving. Kids were setting up everywhere. People were just joyous, embracing us. And when we left, they were, I, I, I mean, everybody was picking up. Everybody was joyous, just waiting for the day that God brings back to them their, a senior pastor. Now that spoke That spoke of this truth right here. That spoke of this truth right here. Because you see, if they weren't trusting God, that God would never leave them or forsake them, that church would not survive. Churches in America today are broken all the time whenever a senior pastor steps down. Because they feel like they're forsaken. But God has not forsaken us. He is our senior pastor. He is our shepherd. He is our Lord that will never leave us nor forsake us. That's why we can still be a church. Even if our senior pastor has gone. So I tell you, if there are great... Traces of loneliness in your life. Right now. Trust God. Live for Him. Live for Him. Do you find yourself being more aware of your needs than those of the body of Christ? Do you find yourself often pitying yourself, your circumstances, Or are you often exalting and praising God? Do you find yourself hard at work just serving your church and living for the body of Christ? My last point. He was cut off from the Father in order that we could boldly say, nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ and from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Church, do you trust this? Do you believe this? Is He your fullness of joy and pleasure? Is He the one that you, that you, in where you find acceptance and assurance? Or are you looking for that somewhere else? Church, this is the gospel which calls us to forsake our sin 
and embrace the forsaken one. That we might not be forsaken by God. Let us live for Him. Let us pray. Father, we are totally aware of how how much, Father, we deserved to be forsaken. We do not deserve, Father, your, your kindness. We do not deserve your acceptance. We do not deserve the assurance that we find in Christ Jesus. But, Father, Lord, we thank you this morning that over 2,000 years ago, you forsook your Son. Jesus, we thank you that you took the punishment for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you felt the utterness of, of, your, of your Father's forsakenness for us. Lord, we pray that this truth may be engraved into our hearts in such a way that we may never forget. Father, may this truth be more relevant to us than any experience that we have had in our lives. Lord, I pray that we will always sense the nearness of your presence, that we will sense, Father, that we will understand that you have promised us that you would never leave us, that you would never forsake us, that you would never separate us from yourself. God, is in that truth that we stand. For we know, Lord, that out of our own ways, out of our own being, we could not do what you only can do, which is to keep us, Lord keep us with you so father thank you for this truth thank you jesus for paying for our sins at this time just receive our worship lord and our praise amen